One of the areas where we sometimes suffer because of bad beliefs is in our life duties and responsibilities. This message is the seventh in the series, Believable. The message is entitled, What Do You Believe About Your Duties and Responsibilities? Part one. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, if you will, as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. We're involved in a series of messages entitled Believable. I want to talk today about what you believe about your duties and what you believe about your responsibilities in life. What are my duties? What are my responsibilities? And what do I believe about them? Our beliefs are extremely important. What you believe about anything in life really makes a difference in terms of your behavior, your attitudes. What you believe about God affects your relationship with God. What you believe about yourself affects how you view your own world and how you interact with people. What you view, how you view other people affects your development of relationships with them. How you view the world is extremely important. And a part of your view of the world includes your view of your duties and your responsibilities, the things that have been given to you to do in life. And if you don't view that the right way or have the right set of beliefs about your duties and responsibilities, you will not approach them in the best way. You'll not be all that God intended for you to be. You'll miss out on some of the blessings that God has in store for you. So I'm going to share this weekend and next weekend six principles, three today and three next weekend, that will help us to believe the right thing about what God has asked us to do in life and how we can do it most effectively and be the most effective for Him. The first thing I want to share with you today and the first principle we'll look at, I'll talk about for a few moments together, is that our highest and greatest fulfillment in life always comes from fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. That if you're going to have your highest, best life, your greatest fulfillment in life, you need to find out what God's purpose is for your life and fulfill it. That's where duties and responsibilities begin. It begins with knowing God's will for your life. And God has a will for you. God has a purpose for you. Sadly, when we look around at our world today, a lot of people are pursuing purpose. They're just not always pursuing God's purpose. For a lot of folks, they're pursuing the purpose of sort of getting ahead in life. If I can succeed, if I can make it to, if you will, the corner office, if I can have the accolades of people around me, if I can get enough possessions, drive the right kind of car, have these right kind of things, be recognized by these kind of people, then I'm going to be successful. I will have arrived in life. And that could not be farther from the truth over the years I've met many people who have succeeded greatly in life and really made it to the highest levels oftentimes of life and yet did not have a relationship with Jesus and have had conversations with them where they've described how empty they feel on the inside. That although you can get all this stuff, if you don't have Jesus, you really have nothing. And the most important thing that you can ever have in life is the, is the pursuit of and the accomplishment of God's will and God's purpose for your life. God has a purpose for you. God created you for an important role, an important plan in the world. Every person is important. Say that with me. Every person is important. God has a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. We talked about that recently as a part of this series. And the purpose of God for your life is not about you being known. It's not about you being prominent. It's about you living your life with significance. You may never be prominent. There may, may never be lots of people that know you, but that doesn't really matter. If God knows you and if you're doing exactly what He wants you to do, that's really what matters. Prominence is not the big issue, but significance is, and significance is found in doing, accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And I will tell you, the fastest way to be miserable is to reject God's purpose and pursue your own. 
There's an Old Testament story that perhaps many of you are familiar with. I want to draw your attention to it again. In the book of Jonah, it's a story of a man who decided that he wanted to do his will rather than God's will. And let's take a look at what happens in Jonah's life. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 12. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. So there's this purpose Jonah's given, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and here's what you're supposed to do. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. So here here Jonah, go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to Nineveh and tell them that they need to repent. Notice verse number three, but Jonah got up, and what did he do? He went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Think about that for a moment. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, I'm going in the opposite direction. It goes on to say that he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How how can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do? To, to you to stop the storm. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Here's the story of a man that knew what God's purpose was for his life, but instead of doing God's will, he chose to do his own, and he ended up not only in trouble himself, but he caused trouble for a lot of other people. I will tell you that in life, when you choose to go the opposite direction of God, choose to run away from him instead of running toward him and doing his will, doing his purpose, you will create trouble for yourself and you'll create trouble for other people. And in this story, if you continue to read it in chapters 2 and 3 of Jonah, you'll find out that Jonah then was cast overboard. A big fish swallowed him up. We know that story. He's in the belly of this fish for three days and God gets his attention. And finally, Jonah is ready to say yes to God. And Jonah is then, if you will, vomited out again. He comes out of the belly of the fish and he goes to Nineveh and preaches there to them and they repent and God's purpose is fulfilled. But it all started with a terrible set of circumstances for Jonah because he resisted the will of God. He was miserable because he didn't do what God designed him to do. And God has a design for your life today. He has a will for your life today. I don't know what it is. To be in the will of God does not necessarily mean that you're going to be in full-time ministry. You have to sort of quit your job and go into ministry and serve God all the time in terms of being a pastor or, or a missionary or something of that nature, although God may very well call some to do that. 
but what your purpose is might be in the job where you are, in the neighborhood where you are, in that classroom where you teach or where you are a student or in that office where you serve. That can be the place that God's purpose is fulfilled in your life, but there's a reason for your being, and the best thing that you and I can do is say yes to God's purpose for our lives. Instead of saying no and going in the opposite direction, we run in the direction of God's purpose. That's where joy is. The psalmist David reflected on this in Psalm chapter 40, verse number 8, where he said, I take delight in doing your will, my God. Can I just simply ask you this morning to reflect in your own life? Do you take delight in doing God's will? Or are you all about pursuing what you want in life? Can I encourage you today to make the choice to say, God, I just want to do with my life what you want me to do. It doesn't matter what it is, that whatever it is that you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. It's not about me being prominent. It's about me fulfilling a significant place of making a difference with my life for your purpose. Jesus lived this way. When Jesus came down from heaven to earth, he came down submitted to the will of his Father. Listen to how Jesus himself described it in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. In chapter 4, verse 34 of John, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. At a very critical time in Jesus' life as he's facing the potential of crucifixion the next day in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays this prayer, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he prays, yet not my will, but yours be done. The Apostle Paul, in reflecting on the nature of Jesus, his submission to the will of his Father, gives us this beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5. It's one that perhaps you may be familiar with, but I want to highlight it for us this morning on this point. He writes and says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same thinking, the same kind of beliefs as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, notice this, nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Let me just parenthetically say there that if you are taking on the nature of a servant, it means that you will do the will of your master. They submitted himself to the will of his master. He took on the very nature of a servant, his master being Father God, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So here is this ultimate surrender of Jesus to the will of his Father. Now notice what happens. Therefore, that is because he does this. I told you, I think it was last weekend, every time you see a therefore, you ask, what is it therefore? So the therefore points us back to the fact that Jesus has humbled himself. He's become obedient in submission to his Father. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, again, what is it therefore? Because of what's just been said, here is the application for us. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, live the same kind of life that Jesus lived, because Jesus went down in submission. He was able to go up in honor. And I will tell you that in your life, when you go down in submission to the will of God, and you submit yourself to Him, 
God says, I honor people like that. That's the place to find your highest purpose. And the number one belief that you should have in life, about your life, is that your highest purpose is found in fulfilling the purpose that God created you for, whatever that purpose is. Number two, the second thing, a belief that's very important to know that it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility to manage every gift that God gives you. When you begin to live in God's purpose, you live in God's purpose with a set of gifts that He's provided for you. And those gifts are to be managed. I'm going to use another word for managed just briefly for a moment here, and it's a word the Bible uses for it oftentimes, and that is the word steward. And we don't use that word very often today, and sometimes it has even a different connotation in our culture today in terms of what a steward is. But in the Old Testament and New Testament times, a steward was a manager. That's the whole idea, that you were given something that belonged to someone else, and the whole idea is you were to not only take care of something given to you, but actually to benefit what was given. You manage something so that there's increase. The idea, for example, even in our world today, we think about, for example, maybe you have some stocks or you have a retirement account that you're giving to someone to manage. What you want them to do is you want them to have increase with it. You don't want to just give it to them and they manage it in the sense they give you exactly back what you gave them, right? You want to see increase by good management. And management involves skills. It involves capabilities. And you and I are called to take every gift that God has given to us and manage it well because if you don't manage your gifts well, you can't fulfill your purpose because your purpose is accomplished by your giftings that God gives you but those have to be stewarded or those have to be managed let me share with you very quickly seven gifts that God has given to you that you must manage effectively with your life every person has this, these seven management responsibilities if you want your life to go well manage these things well number one manage your temperament your temperament is your personality how many could use a little personality improvement right okay I think we all could right some things where we grow in a bit more patience and kindness and gentleness and all those things represent the fruit of the Spirit, but the more you improve you, the more effective you can be for the kingdom of God. And so you begin to say, Jesus, help me to grow my temperament so that I'm more like Christ, that I'm developing a Christ-like spirit and attitude about me, that my temperament, my personality begins to reflect the personality of Jesus. And so that's called self-control. It is learning to manage you. The toughest person you will ever manage in life is you. You're the toughest client you'll ever have. Trying to somehow get yourself straight is the biggest job any of us have, and that's why the Bible encourages us not to spend our time judging other people, but to pay attention to the, to the log that's in our own eye instead of paying attention to the speck that's in somebody else's eye. Amen? So here's this idea. Manage your temperament. Are you paying attention to you? Number two, manage well your time. Why? Because your time is your life. That's what time is. It represents your life. This is your day, your opportunities, your days, your seasons of life. Every week, listen, every week, you and I have 168 hours. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you do the math, that's 168 hours every week. That 168 hours turns into 10,080 minutes every week. Over the course of a year, listen, over the course of a year, God will give you, if you live an entire year, God will give you 524,160 minutes. That's over a half million minutes that you get every year. The question becomes, what are you doing 
with your time because your time is your life, okay? You don't get it back. There's something interesting about time. You can't store it up. You can't put it in an account and say, I'll use that later. You can do that with your money, but you can't do it with your time. Once time is spent, it's spent. You can't go back to yesterday and get yesterday. You can't go into tomorrow or get tomorrow. You have the time that is now available to you. When I talk to people in our culture today, you say, how you doing? I'm busy. I hear that all the time. I'm just really busy. And it's interesting that we're busier than we've ever been before. But in many times, we're less productive than we've ever been before because there are a lot of things vying for our attention. I found out in doing some research for this message that the average American picks up their cell phone, their smartphone, at least 85 times every day. Some of you said, I do that in the first hour. What are you talking about, right? Okay. Some studies of teenagers have found that they will spend as many as 11 hours a day engaged in media, some form of media, whether it's social media or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it might be, that we're consumed by all these things vying for our attention, calling for us to pay attention to what's going on around us and pay very little attention to our own lives. We suffer now with what's known as a disease called FOMO. You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. And fear of missing out is I got to check what's going on with your life because my life's not too fun right now. So maybe if I look at what's going on in your life, maybe I'll feel better. But the problem is you look at what's going on in your life, you always post all those nice things and I feel worse about me now that I've seen what you're doing. Because there's this whole idea of things vying for our attention. In fact, there's such a thing as Facebook depression. Do you know that? There are a lot of people who are suffering from Facebook, suffering from depression because they're spending so much time in social media and they're letting this thing drain out their very life because they're vicariously, uh, they're accusing themselves of not having a very good life based upon what they're seeing uh, in terms of the lives of everybody else. And so these are things that pull our attention away. We don't focus on ourselves and doing what we ought to do. And I would encourage you to realize that you don't get your time back. You only have one moment each day, one hour per day, one hour each day at a time, I should say, to utilize that God will give you minute by minute and hour by hour and day by day. How well are you managing your time? Your time is your life. Number three, manage your treasure. I'm going to cover this very quickly. This deserves a teaching in and of itself, if not a series by itself. But let me quickly say to you that God has given you some kind of financial resource, some, time, some kind of material resource. If you have a job, He gives you an income. There's resources that come into your life. And God says, I want you to learn to manage your money well. How do you manage your money well? You manage your money well, first of all, by giving your first percentage to God. And God has, a, has assigned what that is. It's called the tithe. Would you say with me, the tithe? The tithe is something that was established going before the law of Moses, going back to the time of Abraham. The first record of the tithe we have is Abraham giving a tenth of the spoils of battle to Melchizedek, the high priest. You read about that in Genesis chapter 14. Moses reinforces the principle of the tithe. We find it really uh, described for us in Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 12 where the prophet Malachi said, you're robbing God. And the people said, how are we robbing you? And Malachi the prophet says, well, God says you're robbing 
loving him through your tithes and offerings. And then there's this, this very clear set of instructions. The instruction, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord, and put me to the test. Prove me in this, God says, and see if I will not open up the windows of blessing and pour out the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. There's not even room enough to receive. But God says, I want you to bring that to me. And then Jesus reinforced it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where he described that this is something we ought to do. Now, the tithe is the first 10% of that which God blesses you with. And the Bible says that if you don't bring that back to God, you're actually stealing from God. I didn't say that. God said it, okay? Now, why would God tell us to bring the first 10% and give it to Him? It's not because God needs your money. It's not even because the church needs your money. You need to give. You need to be in a position of showing God that you trust Him, that you say, God, I am confident that you're going to take care of me. I'm not just going to say this. I'm going to demonstrate this with my life by my practice. And I promise you, I've learned this practice growing up from a little kid. I started tithing from the time I got my first allowance. My dad gave me a dime and 10 pennies and said, son, take the first penny to church next Sunday. You got nine for you, one for God. I didn't like that very much, but I did it. And ever since that time, I've been practicing the principle of the tithe and growing in that whole dimension of what it means to give to God, I will tell you this, you cannot outgive God. And God says, if you'll just enter into covenant relationship with me and you'll establish, put me first in your finance. And for some of you, this is going to be a turning point in your life that you can come to the place. Maybe you've never done it before, but to say, God, I'm going to start trusting you in a way like I've never trusted you before. There are stories that we have here in our church of people who took that step of faith and they will tell you what a difference it's made in their life. And it's, it's a matter of putting God first in your finances. I like to encourage people to practice what's known as the 10-10-80 principle. The 10-10-80 principle is the first 10% goes to God. The second 10% you try to save, put it away for some margin in your life. And the 80% you learn to live off of 80%. That means you might have to trim back your lifestyle a little bit. But I tell you what, it's always better to be giving to God and having something for your future and living off an effective amount of your life, 80%, so that you are able to begin to move forward and make it ahead in life. This is these are principles that God gives you. But the important thing is to say, I'm going to make God first in my finances and to manage this part of your life. You say, well, I don't want to do that. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to do it. Nobody's mandating you do it on the human end. It's what God said. You have to choose to obey God. Then the fourth thing, manage well your training. God gives you training opportunities. He brings things along your way to help you learn stuff. And if you don't manage that well, I've seen people before that had wonderful training opportunities spiritually. Or, In fact, this is a training opportunity right now where you're in the house of God. In this moment, God's training us about things. And the issue is, will we learn what we need to learn? And sometimes God will bring you a training moment for your career. And if you learn what you need to learn there, you can get a promotion. You can move to the next level because you're learning the things you need to learn. See, God gives you purpose, but then you have to manage the opportunities he brings your way. Then you have to manage well your tests. I will tell you something about tests. Tests are not designed to make you fail. Tests are designed to help you know how well you're doing, right? And where you need to improve. That's what a test is. A test is not, when God gives you a test, it's not because he's angry with you. Let that sit there for a moment. Anytime that God gives you a test, it's not because God's mad at you, he's upset with you, so he's testing you just to make life miserable for you. No, God doesn't test us that way. 
A test is designed to help us to learn where we are in our journey to get some information. And so when a test comes your way, don't just let it come and bypass you and not learn something from it. Find out what you need to learn. And then number six, here's the here's a key one for you. Manage your tongue. Oh my goodness. Why is this so important? Because this little thing in the middle of your mouth will either bring you great blessing or terrible trouble. Right? You ever just had the thought sometimes, I'm just going to cut that thing out, okay? I'm just going to get rid of it, okay? Because it can get you in so much trouble, but it can also bring tremendous blessing. When you learn to manage what you say, manage the words of your mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 that the power of life and death right there and that ugly little organ called your tongue, okay? It's right there. And you and I can make a difference in, in our lives and the lives of others by managing it. Then number seven, manage your talent. Grow your talent. See, gifts come to us in raw form, and the way that we develop them is by paying attention to them, by learning things that we need to learn about how to improve. Whatever it is that you're doing in life, always grow your talent. Always grow it. Why? Because it makes you more, gives you more capacity to be used by God. The key thing is this. What God wants for your life when you manage your life well is He's looking for faithfulness from your life, Right? Notice 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards or managers that one be found, what's the word there? Faithful. So when God says manage your gifts well, what, how does he want you to manage them? With, what's the word again? Faithfulness, right? Faithfulness. Now, let me take just a brief moment before we go to our last point and explain to you what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is growing or increasing whatever God gives you. That's what faithfulness is. Jesus taught this principle in Matthew 25. He said there was a master, a man that owned a business, we might say, and he brought three of his workers in, and he said, I'm going to go away for a period of time, so I'm going to leave some stuff with the three of you guys and to you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you five bags of gold to manage for me. That portfolio will be yours, and this guy here, I'm going to give you two bags of gold to, to manage for me, to steward for me while I'm gone. To the other guy, said, I'm going to give you one. And the Bible says that the, 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 the owner of the business did this, uh, based upon the abilities of these three people, okay? So one has five, one, two, one, one. The man goes away for a period of time, then he shows back up again, and he calls these three workers together. Hey, guys, how we doing? Let's talk about how things have been going since I've been gone away for a period of time. No, I gave you five, gave you two, gave you one. How, how did it go? And so the guy with five bags of gold comes back to the owner of the business and says, you know what, sir, I've, I've worked hard since you've been gone. I've, I learned everything that I could, and I took your five bags of gold, and I've invested it, I've worked with it, and now I've got 10 bags of gold to present back to you again and this owner of the business this master said well done good and come on church well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things I'm now going to make you ruler over many enter into the joy of your master and so there's this commendation because he had proven himself to be faithful what proved his faithfulness not just holding on to what he'd been given but what proved faithfulness was increasing what he'd been given there was another man who had the two, the two bags of gold, and the, the owner of the business said, well, what about you? How did you do? He said, well, I worked hard also. I, I worked and I invested your, your two bags of gold, and now I have something to give you back. I have four bags to present to you because, you know, this investment thing worked well, and I've, I've given myself to it. And the master again said, well done, good and faithful 
servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your master. The final guy sort of sheepishly held his head before the owner of the business. And the guy said, well, what about you? I gave you one. He said, well, you know, you're such a hard man. I know you're tough and I didn't want to lose anything. So I went and dug a hole. I hid it in the hole. I didn't lose it. But here it is back. You gave me one. Here's one. Some of the saddest words in the entire Bible are found in the response of the owner, the master to that man. Do you know what he said? He said, you wicked, lazy servant. Wow. Pretty rough, isn't it? What I gave you, you did nothing with it. So I'm going to take actually what I gave you, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Because you don't know what to do with what's given to you. Okay? You don't know what to do. See, the problem in this man's mind was he had created a mindset about the master. He created a mindset about the master. And there were no problems with the master. There was a big problem with the mindset of the man. Okay? Because the master was a man who was willing to reward but the mindset of this guy kept him living in fear and doing nothing of what had been given to him. Dear ones, I want to tell you something, that God's plan and purpose for your life is for increase. Amen? Are you with me here? God says, I've got a purpose for your life. And I want you to do, I want you to do what I created you to do. And to do that, you've got to learn to manage well. You've got to be a good steward. And a good steward is faithful. And a good faithful steward means that you take what's been given to you in all those seven areas, all those dimensions, you manage them well because out of doing that, you'll now have increase in my life. And as you increase, I'll even give you more, okay? So the more comes by the increase of our faithfulness, amen? Last point I want to conclude with today, the final point. The third thing that you and I need to remember is this. This is how you ought to think about your duties and your responsibilities. Attending to daily duties is one of the ways I fulfill God's will. Attending to daily duties. I want you to see the the, the connection of all three of these. First of all, I've got a purpose that God's given me, right? And my fulfillment comes from fulfilling God's purpose. To fulfill God's purpose, I have to manage well what He's given me, the gifts. And then how do I manage well? I do it daily, okay? I do it daily, okay? I'm going to explain to you why this is important. We'll look at some examples and include here very briefly. The reason that daily is so important is because we all have a tendency to live in something other than today. We have a tendency to live in yesterday, the regrets of yesterday. Oh, I did this. That was a failure. I made a mistake here. Or this has happened in my life yesterday. So we live in the past. A lot of people uh, are living in their past. Other people are living in the future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? And so I can't wait till I get there. I can't wait. One day I'm going to do God's will. One day I'm going to get there. And so we live way out here and God says, oh, time out. Okay. Yesterday's already gone. You can't go back. No reason to spend your time on your yesterday except to learn some valuable lesson from yesterday for today. And tomorrow's not here. You're not even promised tomorrow. The only time you have is today. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about what you didn't have or had yesterday, and don't spend your time worrying about what you're going to have or not have tomorrow. No, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because the only place you can be is where you are. 
That's profound. The only time you can live in is now. You can't live in another time. To not now is the time. The only time you have is right now. You may not even be here an hour from now. You may not be here tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But we have the now. And so God says, what I want you to do is focus in on the responsibilities and managing what I've given you right now. Do it daily. In your day, don't spend your time on things that you cannot control. Focus your attention on today. There's a story in the Old Testament of, of a man by the name of Eli, the priest. The story is found in 1 Samuel. It's a story of, you, find, you might remember Eli being the, the priest that spoke to Hannah, who ended up having the baby called Samuel. There's an amazing story that happens there. But Eli was a man that, did, that failed to pay attention to what he should have been doing every day of his life. He had two sons that were priests also, and these two sons were wild and rebellious, and they were going to the place of worship, and they were, they were, they were not treating the offerings of God appropriately, and they were, they were immoral in the way they were treating the ladies around the places of worship. And so the Bible says that God removed the priesthood from Eli because he did not restrain, he didn't discipline his children, he didn't do what he needed to do in the day, in the moment. See, there are duties and responsibilities that God gives you each day of your life, and you are wise when you pay attention to them and pay attention to your day, your daily duties. Because what you do today, what you need to do today, tomorrow will take care of itself. And so there's a mindset here. You know, we're talking about how you think, what you believe, what's really important, what do you really believe? Well, I believe, and I want you to believe, God wants you to believe that there's a purpose for your life, amen? God wants you to believe that you're a manager, okay? The things aren't just going to automatically happen. God says, I want you to believe this about yourself. You're a manager. That's who I called you to be. I want you to manage well at least all those seven areas of your life. Manage them well. Every one of these areas, your temperament, your time, your treasure, all those things. Measure, you manage it well. That's your job. And don't just spend your time thinking about doing it someday. Do it today. Okay. You can go home today and you can start being the manager you need to be today. And if you'll be the manager you need to be today, then tomorrow will take care of itself. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says as we wrap this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. He's describing his mindset, his belief system regarding his own work and how it engaged, how he engaged with it. He says in verses 3 through 6, 2 Corinthians 6, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put, been put in prison, faced angry mobs. Notice the next phrase there. Read it with me. Worked to exhaustion. Endured sleepless nights and gone without food. Paul says, this is what life looks like for me. I have to work hard. I, and there are times I don't even get enough sleep at night, but I'm paying attention to my responsibilities. I'm paying attention to the duties that God has given to me. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. Paul says, this is proving the kind of love that we have for the people of God and the call of God. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, with this we'll conclude. He says here, or he is, the one we proclaim, speaking of Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully maturing Christ. That was his purpose. And then notice how he went about it. To this end, I strenuously contend 
Paul said, I've got a purpose. My purpose is to present every person that I have opportunity to, to impact as a fully mature person in Christ. And this is how I do it. To this end, I strenuously contend. What does the word strenuous mean? You're putting some effort into it, right? You're putting some energy into it. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul says, every day I bring something to the table. Every day in my management responsibilities, I bring my strenuous effort. I bring my strenuous work. I put my whole heart in to the duties that God has given to me. And then I know that when I'm bringing all that I can bring, that Christ will bring to me the energy that I need to fulfill the purpose he has for my life. And if I'll do it today, as I need to do today, God will take care of my tomorrow. What do you believe? What do you really believe about your duties and responsibilities? A better life happens when you begin to embrace the right beliefs about the responsibilities that God has given you in your life. Let's put a big comma right there, and next weekend we'll continue with the same theme. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we're so very grateful today that you're teaching us, you're speaking to us about our duties, our responsibilities, because, Lord, you want us to, to have a faithful life that, that creates increase in our lives. And for every person here, there's an increased place that you have for them. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, that they would embrace, that all of us today would embrace the purpose that you have for us. Lord, that we would let go of our own will and choose your will. That today we would begin to acknowledge and believe that we're managers. That you've called us to manage our life well. And Lord, that we would do that, not, Lord, not just looking back on yesterday or trying to look ahead to tomorrow. But we'll look at what we need to do today to be faithful to you in this day, knowing that you'll take care of everything from this day forward as we do what we need to do in the moment. So Lord, in Jesus' name, seal this word in our heart by your Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. 
And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.